All right, so when was the last time you were really encouraged by someone? And, and I don't mean, you know, like somebody paid you a compliment or, or did something kind of nice for you, but you know, those, those moments, those days where you find yourself incredibly distressed, overwhelmed, uh, sad, discouraged, whatever it is. What, when was the last time somebody found you in that moment and, and just almost gave you new life? right, through a word or through a deed of something that they did for you. When was the last time that happened for you? I was thinking about this in my own life and, and want to give you an example of how I was a, a beneficiary of somebody's encouragement in my home recently. And, and in order to, to give you this story, I need to set up some context for it. I, I'm a sports guy. If you haven't figured that out yet, I love sports, grew up that way. And so naturally, as I entered into uh, fatherhood, that was something that I wanted to create for my family as well. I, I grew up loving and playing all different sports, but probably my favorite was baseball. And so the idea entering into fatherhood of being able to like kind of play catch with my son was just one of those things that I really looked forward to, right? And in, in, in anticipating in that role as a father. And so now that I have three kids, I'm grateful to say that my kind of childhood dreams are coming true because all my kids love sports and we're constantly outside throwing the ball, playing, playing together in all those different sorts of capacities. But I would tell you, my oldest son, James, his favorite sports tend to gravitate more towards basketball and football, right? And so if he's going to ask me to come and play with him, it's usually one of those two. And, and rarely, if ever, does he ever say, Dad, you want to go play catch, referring to, to baseball. That's usually me that instigates that. And normally when I do, the answer is typically not, I'd rather go do one of these other ones, okay? So, so that's fine, just giving you context. So hold, hold on to that piece of information while I tell you the rest of the story. Uh, back in January of 2019, we adopted my youngest son, David Wu, from China, and when we returned home, we knew that he was going to need two corrective surgeries for his cleft lip and palate. And that is always kind of a, a, a challenge when you start talking about surgeries and insurance and finances and all those different things. And so we had to find a surgeon. We had to get it all lined up with our insurance company. And everything looked to be going pretty well. We got through the first corrective surgery in March. Insurance covered it. We were kind of moving right along. And then in September of 2019, we got to a second surgery. And all of a sudden, there was a problem with the insurance coverage. And, and that kind of, I'm not going to bore you with all the details, but that, that kind of set us on this journey that literally for more than a year we've been dealing with, um, trying to go back and forth over whether or not that second surgery could be covered. And it has been exhausting. Now, caveat to this story, literally just this past week, I finally got word that it's going to be covered. So praise God. All right. That's not really the point of the story, but it has been an endeavor, right? And it has, it has been very overwhelming at times because it comes with a tremendous financial burden. Potentially, these surgeries are very expensive and, and trying to get all these things covered. So it got to the point where we were in this appeals process. Uh, the first appeal had been denied. I was in the uh, process of doing a second appeal. And it was at that stage where I really didn't know what the next step was going to be. Right? I, didn't, I didn't know, like, if they denied this appeal, I, I didn't know that we had many other options. And I was really feeling desperate, but I was, I was still expecting and hopeful that, that this would be, you know, uh, approved and all those other things. And so I, I would go to the mailbox every day, like waiting to see this letter. And so finally, late in July, um, I go to the, to the mailbox and I see the letter, take a deep breath and I open it up and discover that the, the claim had been denied. And I was completely deflated and just really, really overwhelmed. Now, listen, I know there are greater burdens in the world, but this was I don't get stressed a lot, but I felt the weight and the stress of that moment just overwhelm me. And uh, I felt hopeless because I was like, I don't know what else I can do. Um, I felt the financial burden of it. I was incredibly 
discouraged. And, and I think everybody around me could see it and sense it. You know, I, I, my demeanor changed, my tone changed, uh, I was downcast, all those different things. And it was in that moment after reading that letter, I was standing there in the study that James came in and he said, hey dad, you wanna go play catch? <laughs> and I said, you know what? Yes. And I went outside and I played catch with my son and all of it went away. And I told him later, I said, James, you know, that meant a lot to me. Thank you for doing that. And he said, well, I know, Dad, I could tell you were sad, and I knew you liked baseball the most, and so I just thought that would maybe help. And it changed, you know, I know there are bigger challenges in the world that people are facing. I know there are grander gestures, but I'll remember that one forever, right? Because that's the power of encouragement, right? It, it totally changes the tone. It's like somebody comes in and gives you new life. In fact, I came across this article that was written by this lady named Julie X-Line for Psychology Today a couple of years ago. I thought she said it well. She said, what an amazing gift we can offer to others through encouragement. When we encourage, it's as though we actually infuse courage into another person. Encouragement can provide people with strength to look ahead, move forward, and reach for the next goal. The whole emotional tone of a tough situation can be transformed through encouragement. Somehow things seem a little bit brighter. Man, you think about where we are and, and, and what we've gone through collectively as a society, not just the pandemic, but, but all the, the, the things we see in our culture, all the things that we are experiencing with this disruption to our life. And, and I think it's fair to say all of us are facing a tougher situation. Right? And if there's ever anything that we need right now and the world re needs right now, it's, it's to be encouraged. <laughs> and that's my hope for us today. And, and who knew that when we started this, this letter to Ephesians, right before this pandemic began, that it would ultimately be our guide through this, this incredible season. And it has been my hope that through this weekly uh, journey into Ephesians, you all in some way have been encouraged, right? That it has helped change the tone of your situation and the things that you're facing out in the real world. And, and that's really kind of the tone with which this letter deserves to, to conclude itself, the tone that I want us to take this morning, that if nothing else is, in, is accomplished today, I pray that every single one of you leaves here today encouraged encouraged by what has been done for you in Christ Jesus, and that collectively we can encourage one another. And because encouragement is so powerful, I think that's exactly one reason why Paul ends this letter in the manner in which he does. So grab your Bibles, and for what seems to be the last time for quite a while, at least in here, turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We finished the armor of God section, right? We had a chance to to hear this final climactic charge from Paul in this letter to say, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And the way that we maintain that strength, the way that we're strong in the Lord is to remember that our fight is not against flesh and blood and that we should put on his armor and then we pray in the spirit on all occasions, right? We do those three things. And so with that charge having been offered now, we get to the final remarks, the concluding remarks that you often see at the end of these letters in the New Testament. And, and with these verses, I think we find a great reminder of just what a blessing it can be to be encouraged. So picking up in verse 21, 
Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you may also know how I am and what I am doing. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. So this final uh, declaration from this letter uh, to the church in Ephesus comes as a word of encouragement. And we have this character that kind of enters into the scene who we're gonna call Tychicus. Uh, it's my best guess. I have no idea. Kevin gave you some great options this morning, but uh, I'm gonna go with Tychicus at this point. And, and Tychicus, while we don't know much about him, Right? There, there's not a lot that we find in the New Testament that, that tells us many details about his life story, his conversion experience. Whereas we don't really get a lot of that. We do see a high frequency of his appearance in the New Testament. We see him in Acts chapter 20 as being referred to somebody that's going to go on this journey with Paul towards Jerusalem. We see him in 2 Timothy and Titus and Colossians and Ephesians, often being sent on these missions to Crete and to Ephesus. And so part of what we know is that he's an integral part to Paul's ministry. Right? He, he's constantly entrusting him and sending him to go and, and carry these messages and to encourage these other congregations. And so Paul has this strong relationship with him. And so he refers to Tychicus as a dear brother and a faithful servant in Christ Jesus. How do people refer to you? How do you refer to other people? Right? What I love about that is, is that it gives us something to aspire to. Right? That, that if people were going to speak of you or speak of us, that they would see the closeness of a relationship and acknowledge that we are faithful servants of the Lord Jesus. Right? What, what a great reputation to have. But not only that, it's, it's how Paul chose to speak of him. Right? Paul sees him as a brother. Too often we, we think about the relationships that we have and we look at them through a different lens and we, we fail to see people as the brother and sister in Christ that they are. We, we, we look at all their faults and their failings and the mistakes rather than the faithful service that they have as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so that in and of itself kind of helps us focus in on how we should understand and view the various relationships that we have in our life as well. And so it's, there's this close relationship that Tychicus have, and Paul is sending Tychicus to Ephesus for two reasons, right? The first is information. Right? I'm sending him there so that he can tell you more about what's going on with me, so that you know how we're doing and all those different things. But then the second reason that Tychicus is being sent is so that he might encourage you. It literally means to give you a fresh heart. I love that. I love that picture of encouragement, to give you a fresh heart. What Paul knows is that this very letter has been written to try to encourage the folks in Ephesus, but it's not enough. He wants to do more. He, he's sending someone on his behalf to continue that encouragement. Do would people look at you in the same manner? Would people look at us in the same manner? That when they see others going through a difficult time and they think, man, that person needs encouragement. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna send you. Right? Do we play that role in other people's lives? And who are those people that play that role in ours? And do we carry that same sort of appreciation and an understanding for just how important it is to have those people that encourage us? What an example for us to follow, that we would be the ones that people would want to send when others need encouraging. 
right? That that's how we're known. That we're the people that when we are brought into a conversation, when we're brought into a situation, we're the ones that encourage people and we give them a fresh heart. It's a beautiful example for us to follow. And so with that, Paul has set this tone of encouragement that just reiterates the whole tone of the letter. And so now with his final remarks in verses 23 and 24, we kind of get this farewell, right? How does he say it again? Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Now this, this final comment here is more than just your farewell that you find in a letter, right? This is much more significant than just the sincerely yours, Paul, right? This, this is rich with meaning, right? It's actually an apostolic benediction, right? By that, I mean Paul is an apostle. So with it comes certain authority. Benediction, meaning it is a prayer of blessing for this church, right? This is his final prayer of encouragement, his final word of blessing for this church. And it should remind us of how Paul began the letter, because what are the two themes that we find here in verses 23 and 24, but grace and peace, the same way Paul began his letter, Right? That was the tone that he said at the beginning. It's the tone that he wants to end with as well. Now, he's, he's put it in a different order, grace and peace in chapter one, peace and grace in chapter six. But when we see these themes, and yes, there are other elements woven into this, references to, to love and to faith as well, but the dominant themes are peace and grace. What he is doing is trying to call our attention back to everything that he's already elaborated upon in this letter. Right, so peace is not just, hey, hope it's going well with you, right? Hope you have a general positive state of mind and state of being. It's not just a farewell. This is, this is a call again to what he was talking about in chapter two, right? That, that Jesus himself is our peace. And he has preached peace to all those who are far and all those who are near. This peace reconciles us to God and to one another. So the peace that we should demonstrate in our lives, the peace that we should be encouraged with is the fact that God has reconciled us to himself and we should demonstrate that same spirit of reconciliation in our relationships with one another. God, God wants us to have that peace in our relationships. He wants us to have that peace with him as well. And so Paul is driving home the importance of that peace and he complements it with grace, right? It's not just this reconciliation. It's this reminder of grace. Now, here's what's interesting about verse 24. The way the NIV translate it is that it then offers this, this comment of grace to those who love God with an undying love. And there's a lot of discussion about that word undying, right? That, that is a great translation for it. It could also mean incorruptible, imperishable, eternal, that, that's the sense that is, that is with that word. And obviously in the NIV translation, uh, the, the interpretation there is that undying and eternal is referencing the love that the Christians have for God the Father. But there are other translations and, and other scholars that would say, actually, it makes more sense, and this is kind of where I lean, for, for that word to really be modifying and describing not so much the love that the Christians have, but God's grace, right? That God's grace is incorruptible. It is eternal, it is undying, it is immortal, right? So, so grace is such a dominant fixture in this letter. Again, this is not something that, that Paul has told his readers that, hey, God just gives you a portion of his grace. No, he has lavished his grace on you, right? You've been overwhelmed 
with his grace. God has not looked upon us and said, you know, you need to figure out a way to earn your way back into my good standing or back into this relationship. This is how you are saved by faith, not by works. It is the gift of God. And so the last thing that Paul is trying to call to our attention is this reconciled peace with the Father and with one another in this unending, immortal, eternal grace that knows no end. What a letter. What a word of encouragement. You know, it's really impossible for us to capture all the sentiments that are offered in this letter. And I've been wrestling with how do we bring this to an appropriate conclusion? You know, how do we wrap up everything that we've been discussing? And, and I know we can't bring all the details back into one message this morning, but I do wanna make sure to just summarize to the best of our ability this morning, essentially how Paul is trying to encourage us with these words. Right? You, you think back to what he's trying to do. The first three chapters we, we talked about, that what Paul is trying to accomplish here is to remind his readers of everything that has been done for them in Christ Jesus. Don't forget what has been done for you in Christ Jesus. Do you remember that church? Do you cling to it? It should never become just some sort of familiar mindset that you rarely pay attention to, that all of us should live and breathe and feel the weight and the majesty of what has been done for you in Jesus Christ. We live in a broken world and we are constantly surrounded by those reminders. Everywhere we turn, we can see the ugliness of a broken world. And if we ever look inward, we see it there as well. We see it in our own broken ways, our own temptations, our own lust, our own impulses, our own failures, our own mistakes. Things that go beyond our control, violence, corruption, greed, disease, all of it is surrounding us. And in this broken world, you and I are constantly trying to find some way to experience the peace that our souls long for something that can give us stability. And what has been done for us is that God, who is rich in love and rich in mercy, sees us in that state and refuses to leave us there. Refuses, he gives us a gift. He gives us a gift of grace by taking on flesh and dwelling among us in the person of Jesus. And Jesus comes and proclaims this message of peace. He is that prince of peace, ushering in the very kingdom of God that was long since been promised. And through Jesus, we see authority, we see power, we see compassion, we see healing, and we see the ultimate display of love through sacrifice. Because what we all know is that the, the penalty of sin is death. And the reason all of us are surrounded by the weight of this broken world, and if we ever need to be convinced of its inescapability, just look around and see that none of us can escape death. Right? That, that's the consequence. And it surrounds us. And it's because our heart has a tendency to go its own way, to refuse to acknowledge God as God. And the penalty for that, a separation from God, is not life, it is death. And so God sees that separation and when he sends Jesus, not only does he proclaim this power and this compassion and this peace, but he is willing to lay down his life as an ultimate portrayal of love for you and for me. And when he bears our sins on that cross, by his wounds, by his blood, you and I are healed. We're forgiven. 
we find and experience that his mercy is more. But not only are we forgiven, church, three days later, he empties the tomb of its power. He demonstrates that death itself has been defeated, that this peace he is offering is not peace just in this life, but peace eternal, peace to be united with him forevermore, to dwell with him for eternity, that you and I can go through this life and know truly that death has been defeated. And so when we think about all that has been done for us in Christ Jesus, when Paul writes this in Ephesians, we can see that truly you and I have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. He has given you peace to be reconciled to God and with one another. He has given you grace that is not by works, but by faith so that no one can boast that we can experience this beautiful gift from God. So therefore, church, he can do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. And so we never lose sight of that. And with that ever on our hearts and on our minds, what do we do? We must live our lives in a manner that is worthy of this gospel. Are you? Is it in the background? Is it, is it just a song that you have playing on repeat? Or is it your life and your breath and the way that you approach every single day saying, today I'm gonna live my life in a manner that is worthy of this gospel? And when we live our lives that are worthy in a manner of this calling that we have received, what do we see? We see unity within the body of Christ. We see maturity in the way in which we conduct ourselves, not tossed to and fro from every deceptive philosophy and teaching that is out there. What do we do? We quit living the way we used to. We take off our old self. We put on our new. Changes the way that we in, uh, interact with one another. It changes the way that we speak to one another. We begin to walk in the way of love. We live as children of light. And we illuminate this darkened world because of this gospel. And we begin to be filled with the Spirit. And when our lives are filled with the Spirit, we experience wisdom. We begin to worship. We begin to live a life of submission to one another. And when we live that way, we are able to be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. And we never lose sight of the fact that our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the, the forces of evil in this world. You and I, we arm ourselves with truth. We arm ourselves with righteousness. We arm ourselves with peace and with faith in the salvation that has been given us through Jesus Christ and the sword of the Spirit, which is his word. And we pray. That's what we do. That's who we're called to be. That's what Paul is encouraging us to live out. And so for us, where does that leave us today? My, my hope and my prayer is that you and I can think about all that has been done for us in Christ and all these instructions that have been given to us, and today we can encourage one another. Right, we can bless one another in the same way that, that Paul has encouraged us, not through this letter, but also through Tychicus and through others. And so what does that look like? How are we going to do that today? Well, we're going to take a slightly different approach. And, and I'm actually going to uh, encourage us to, to respond in worship and to respond in song. <coughs> and the way that we're going to do that is, is by taking the opportunity to remember the significance that worship can play. And so we're actually going to weave in worship 
to the conclusion of this message, but also it's gonna be our song of response. And so let me, let me explain to you what it's gonna look like. And while I'm explaining, I'm gonna go ahead and ask that the band, Matt and others, go ahead and come back up to take their place. And, and let me try to set the tone for us this morning to make sure that we understand exactly the significance of this and how we can hopefully encourage one another. Because here's what I believe. I believe now more than ever, we need to be encouraged, right? That, that at the very least, many of us have come into this room with, with uh, different stresses, different burdens, different challenges. We, we see them in the world. And typically when we go out in the world, we hear words that tear down more than we hear words that build up. And so at least at the, at the very minimum, for us today in this moment, we're gonna encourage one another. But the goal and the hope is that as we leave here today, we do so with a greater understanding of how we live out these truths that have been poured into us through this series and we encourage the people around us. Because right? that's exactly what not only we need, but what the world needs. All right? And so here's, here's the reason I wanna do it this way. When you look at worship, it often can go in two different directions. We often think of it primarily as vertical right, that we're singing a song to the Lord, which is obviously true and, and most frequently the case. But, but worship is also meant to be horizontal, meaning it's something that we do for each other, right? And a lot of the things that we see, like in the Psalms, you can go throughout Psalms over and over again, and whoever is leading God's people at that time will say, sing to the Lord, you righteous, right? Proclaim the good works of what he has done. And it's, it's a horizontal interaction between those who are singing and those who are before him. Right, even in Ephesians 5, we've seen this, right? What did Paul say in Ephesians 5? He said, speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, right? So when we gather together, part of what we're doing is not just singing to God in our own little personal space, we're singing to one another and we're encouraging one another with the same truths that we're hearing. And so, so that's what we're gonna do here in a moment. When we sing this song, I want you to think about both the horizontal aspect of it, as well as the vertical, okay? And so, so what we're gonna sing first is, is a blessing. And it's, it's a blessing that has been around for thousands of years. And I want the weight of that to hit you. It's not some contemporary musician that sat down and, and wrote these lyrics. This, this is from Numbers 6. For thousands of years, God's people have been encouraged by these words, these words of blessing. And so because it's a new song, what I'm gonna ask Matt to do is just to sing it so you can hear the melody for a moment, then I'm gonna explain to you what it means. All right, so Matt, why don't you uh, sing number six over us for a second. His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. That's a prayer that God's people have been hearing for thousands of years. When we sing of God blessing you, we're talking about the goodness of God being found in your life. We talk about the Lord keeping you. That's speaking about God's protection. That he's watching over you. We talk about his face shining upon you. That's speaking to his presence, being with you wherever you go. You think about all the different elements that he would be gracious to you. We've talked about the gift of grace 
that we've already experienced through Jesus Christ, that he turns his face towards you, means that he's attentive to you, he's, he's listening to your prayers, that he's giving you peace, that reconciliation. So when we sing this, that's a blessing we're speaking over one another. Hey, and so when we sing it, maybe at the front end of the song, because it's new, maybe you just listen to it and you receive it. Let these amazing gifted leaders speak that word of blessing over you and be encouraged today. But then as we continue to sing it, I want you to sing it to one another. Now the chorus takes us to a simple word. It's just amen. And I wanna remind you that amen means let it be so. So that is the moment where collectively our voices go upward. And what we're saying is that these words of blessings, God, we, we want it to be so, let it be so in our lives, bless us this way. And so collectively as one voice, we offer that as our prayer to God with one voice. And so as we begin to sing this, receive it, be encouraged this morning. And as it becomes familiar with you, here's what I want you to do. I want you to think of someone. Could be somebody in this room, could be somebody at home, could be a spouse, could be a child, a friend, a neighbor, whatever. I want you to picture them in your minds. And I want this to be a prayer that you sing over them, that you would be a voice of encouragement in their life. And that collectively, we can encourage one another. We can be that blessing in each other's lives. And then collectively, we'll ask God, Father, let it be so. So why don't you stand and just follow the Spirit's lead. If you wanna just have this sung over you and just receive it, then receive it. And then as you get more comfortable, sing it and make it that prayer. But let's be encouraged in song this morning.
words continue to encourage each of us but as we shift to some new lyrics and remind you again of how these truths are found in scripture we're going to talk about the lord's favor being upon you you know the word favor can often be misconstrued in our society today we often associate with some form of material wealth or physical blessing and the favor of god is consistently in the scripture but i want to remind you of what the favor of the Lord looks like. In Luke chapter four, we hear of Jesus and he goes into Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he goes into the synagogue as was his custom and he stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And unrolling it, he found the place where it is written from Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him and he began by saying, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The favor of the Lord is the spirit of Christ in you and through you, right? It's that spirit that proclaims good news to the poor, that sets the captive free. That's what we're praying for. That's the favor that we desire. And what we see throughout scripture is that we have been given this unique opportunity, this specific place in time to make sure that this message never goes away, that it is passed on from generation to generation. You are here because generations before you have made sure that you've understood this message and heard this message. And that is now our responsibility. We see in Psalm 145, one generation will declare his works to another. We see in Deuteronomy 4, teach these things to your children and then to their children. We see it in Deuteronomy 6, impress these things upon your children. When you get up and when you come down, when you go out along the road, wherever you go, teach them these things. And so when we sing this next section, I want you to think about your children not yet born or already born. Think about the generation that will come beyond them. Think about the children of this church, the children of this community. Think about all those that are in your midst and begin to pray that the Lord's favor would be upon them and speak this truth of blessing over each other. And what is that blessing but that his presence is always with us. We see it in Psalm 139. Where can we go to escape his presence? If we go to the heights, he is there. If we go to the depths, he is there. You can't run from him. Deuteronomy 31 says he goes before you. Isaiah 61 says he's with you in your weeping. He's with you in those hard moments, in that sadness, in that brokenness. He's with you in your rejoicing, no matter what season you're in. He is there because one of the greatest favors that we've received from Jesus and the greatest promises we've received from Jesus is that what we see definitively is Emmanuel, God with us. He is for us. So believe that this morning, church. Be encouraged by that this morning, church. So again, as we sing, picture someone, put someone in your mind and pray over them. Pray for your children and their children, whoever it might be. Lift up these prayers and encourage one another and then collectively with one voice, let us come before the Father and say, let it be so. And let's give him our greatest amen. Let's sing. May his favor be upon 
children and their children may his favor be upon you and a thousand generations in your family and your children and their children and their children his favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children and their children and their children may his favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children and their children and their children may his our hearts today. Father, I pray for everyone here and those with us 
online, wherever they may be, God, that you would bless them. Show them your goodness. Keep watch over them. Father, as we prepare to go back into this world, let your ever watchful eye be upon every heart and soul. Father, let your face shine upon them. Let them sense your presence in their coming and going, in their weeping and in their rejoicing. Father, no matter what season they're in, let your face shine upon them. Father, be gracious to them. God, let us be overwhelmed by the riches of your grace that you have lavished on us. May it compel us to forever sing. Father, turn your face towards us. Be ever attentive to our cry when we come running to our loving Father to experience your mercy. Father, give us your peace. Peace that has only been accomplished through Christ. Peace with you. Peace with one another, Father. Father, let it be so both now and from generation to generation. Give us a fresh heart today that we would be encouraged and go into this world to encourage and be a blessing to others. And so now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine, to him be the glory now and through his church and forevermore. For it's in Jesus Christ's precious and holy name that we pray these things. Amen and amen.